Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, a mother-daughter trip to Guatemala. It's a guest essay by Beth Thompson Kawasaki, who lives, writes, and works for women's and children's rights in Northern California and beyond. It's based upon the lectionary reading for Sunday, September the 8th, 2013. This summer I traveled to Guatemala with my 11-year-old adopted daughter. It was her first trip back to her birth country since coming to her new home in California at the age of six months and joining her two older brothers. Nathan, our youngest child, and Noemi's biological sibling, joined us four years later as we both benefited from and honored a hope expressed by their birth mother through the orphanage that we might keep them together. Guatemala closed international adoptions in 2008 after serious irregularities that included corruption and child trafficking in order that the system could be reformed. Thousands of families and children were caught in legal and emotional limbo following this closure. U.S. officials pledged diligent action on the 900 cases in process. After five years, as of July 2013, 89 of these children are still waiting in institutions and orphanages in Guatemala. Guatemala is a fragile country of contradictions. On the one hand, it possesses extraordinary physical beauty and an exuberant cultural richness in history. Its ancient Mayan roots lend it a mysterious and significant place in the development of astronomy, calendaring, innovative agricultural practices, feats of engineering pre-machinery, and first written languages. On the other hand, recovering from a brutal 36-year civil war that ended with a peace accord in 1996, Guatemala has one of the highest homicide rates in the world, including rampant and unprosecuted violence against women, known as femicide. It also has the fourth highest rate of chronic malnutrition in the world, currently at almost 50% for children under five and this despite being a leading agro-exporter. The Huffington Post recently reported that despite its position just above Iraq on the UN Development Index, a composite of life expectancy, education, and per capita income, Guatemala nevertheless ranks seventh in the world in positive emotions, according to a new Gallup poll. Into this complex milieu, my daughter and I traveled with a group of U.S. and European families through an organization called TIES, T-I-E-S, <clears throat> which works to connect internationally adopted children to their countries, stories, and in many cases, a birth parent, grandparent, sibling, or former foster caretaker. 
I had been to Guatemala many times post-adoptions with my older children, leading service trips or with other NGOs. <coughs> leaving, e <coughs> leaving each time more attached to the place and the people. In those groups, we were transients and outsiders. But this time, I traveled as an adoptive Caucasian mother to a Guatemalteca daughter, fully aware of our obvious and potentially controversial status. I couldn't possibly predict or control what her reactions would be to her homeland, or vice versa. Our, <clears throat> our daughter is a dark-skinned, petite, preteen of predominantly Mayan heritage. She's fluent in English and friendly in Spanish, and moves with the confidence and open posture of an all-American kid. The bias she lives with is that everything is going to be great. And, with much credit to our Guatemalan trip leaders, it was. Yet I also observed that our daughter was a curiosity to the more prosperous and lighter-skinned Central Americans staying in our hotels. There were several double-takes when she and her adopted travel mates presumed equal status and space as a basic living right. While the indigenous peoples in Guatemala have made some social progress with increased representation in the legislative system and increased access to education, most still live in rural areas working as subsistence farmers. They are perceived as a different class of citizen with limited potential by the more privileged and powerful. Yet each day she interacted more frequently and easily with the locals, whatever their status, and identified more positively with her heritage as she participated in environmental and humanitarian service projects led by strong national role models who looked like her. Her worlds collided most dramatically during the two days we spent with the 21 children now permanently growing up at her former orphanage, called Semios de Amor, Seeds of Love. There she served as an ambassador and bridge between the traveling families and the Semios children. She introduced herself as Michaela Noemi Lucille Luno Ramos Kawasaki, joining all of her names to all her story and coming full circle to where it all began. And she wants to return next summer so she can spend more time with her Semios siblings and study Spanish. God willing, I hope to make that happen. In this week's lectionary from Psalm 139, the author sings out praises to an engaged, intimate, and present God who participates personally and creatively in the genesis and development of every human being. Listen to the translation from The Message by Eugene Peterson. Dear God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. 
I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. I don't fully understand the complicated economy of God when it comes to at-risk children in our own or developing countries. I do feel an urgent responsibility to Guatemala, a country that has given me much and a people with so much potential. <clears throat> this summer I was blessed and awed by my daughter's growing understanding of an instinctual desire to be a part of this too. Ladane McLeese Pulaski, an ethicist from Baylor University, writes the following. We must always be asking ourselves these questions. How do we order our personal and collective lives so that we allow for the unfolding of what God knitted together within our children and the children of our churches, schools, and neighborhoods? How do we order our lives to encourage the unfolding of, God, of what God wove into children whom we will never know? What a tragic waste when we fail. What a great gift when we succeed. Fearful and wonderful indeed. Amen. A guest essay by Beth Thompson Kawasaki. For books this week, I review a title called Walking Home, A Poet's Journey. The author is Simon Armitage, New York, W.W. W. Norton, 2013, 285 pages. One of England's distinct traditions is that of the walking holiday. In America, we call it hiking, but that doesn't quite capture the exact essence of the experience. My wife and I have hiked two of England's 15 national trails, both of which were about 200 miles long. The Wainwright coast-to-coast -coast path that starts north of Manchester on the Irish Sea and finishes on the North Atlantic, and then Offa's Dyke Path that traverses the country along the border with Wales from north to south, along an 8th century earthwork. Simon Armitage, a well-known British poet, decided to hike England's oldest path 
and perhaps its most arduous one, the 260-mile Pennine Way. The Pennine Way was opened in 1965. It marked the political movement of walking holidays only for the wealthy few to rambling for anyone who had the chops to get out there, be it for a day, a week, or more. Armitage had a personal interest in that the village of Marsden, where he was born, sits on the Pennine Way, and so he conceived of a walk home. He did so with the conscious realization that other famous writers, from Homer to Wordsworth, wrote about, from their, wrote about and from their own long journeys. Whereas most people walk the Pennine Way from south to north, Armitage walked in the opposite direction. This allowed for his home village of Marsden to be more of a literal and not a merely literary destination. There was also a second difference to his walk. For each of his 19 nights on the path, he did a poetry reading, what he calls 256 miles of begging, after which they passed around a hat, and he was paid for his performance. Each night he reports his attendance and counts his take. And here the English traditions of walker and poet combine. It's hard to imagine an American poet who is recognized on the streets of any small town in America, much less that he or she could anticipate an audience of several dozen people who show up on a rainy night to hear a poetry reading, then stuff a $10 bill in a sock to say thanks. But that's what they do in England. Simon Armitage, Walking Home. A Poet's Journey. For movies this week, I review 20 Feet from Stardom, 2013. This documentary film will appeal to baby boomer music lovers. Director Morgan Neville explores the ambiguous careers of the black female backup vocalists for many of the greatest bands, from Darlene Love and Mary Clayton in the 60s to contemporary singers like Judith Hill. These are enormously talented people who worked hard to find their niche, but no one has ever heard of them except insiders. The film has no narration per se. The singers most of whom are now in their late 60s, reflect back on their lives and the roles they played. Interspersed are observations by rock greats like Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Wonder, Sting, Mick Jagger, and Bette Midler. There's a heavy dose of nostalgia here with lots of archival footage, like George Harrison playing at the 1971 Bangladesh Benefit Concert. But there's also harsh realism. Music is a brutal business about the bottom line. There have been enormous structural changes across the decades. Working with Phil Spector could take its toll. And as Sting observed, it takes more than talent. You need sheer luck to make it. 20 feet from stardom.
For poetry this week, we've posted one of the Celtic poems and prayers. It's actually a prayer for nighttime. It's called, I Lie Down This Night. I lie down this night with God, and God will lie down with me. I lie down this night with Christ, and Christ will lie down with me. I lie down this night with Spirit, and the Spirit will lie down with me. God and Christ and the Spirit be lying down with me. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, September the 8th, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.